Father, we come before you. That you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And as we think through all of the weight of our present moments in history, whether it's the particular needs of our own individual lives or just the global challenges that we face both now and then even across time, Lord, we are humbled to see your hand standing with us in each moment. And yet, Lord, we also confess the ways that though we know that, it can be very hard to trust that. So we are reminded in your word that though you lead to and then even through the Red Sea, yet so your footprints are unseen. And so, Lord, as many in our congregation have fallen sick this week, as we've seen recently the loss of various members even as well, Lord, as we continue just to hear reports of tragedy in the news locally and around the world, and even, God, as we wrestle just through the darkness in our own hearts, we come before you and we cry out, how long, O Lord? And we confess that we don't have the answers and we don't always see what you would do next and so therefore it is very hard to hold on in the moment here and now. And so Lord, we bring that to you even when we don't know what the next turn might be. Even when we don't have an answer and when we are, have exhausted ourselves trying to put a happy, smiley face on things. And yet, Lord, even when we cannot see what comes next, we bring it to you. Let our laments and our concerns, even in those places of darkness, be a cry out in confidence that though we do not know, we do know you. And so we trust you even as we cry out to you, how long, O Lord? Because God, we are a hungry people. Lord, as we live our lives in the different arenas of influence that you have given us, whether that's in our families, whether that's in our school systems, whether it's with our neighbors or with our coworkers or just with the people that we meet as we go about our business around town, Lord, we pray that we would be witnesses for your goodness, not because we have everything together, but because we know you, and not because we can always just keep a happy song on the car radio and press on, but because we can trust that no matter what befalls, no matter how deep the darkness, that your goodness stands nonetheless. And so, Lord Jesus, fix our eyes and our hearts on you, even as you have fixed your eyes and your heart on us, allowing nothing to get in the way of your love, allowing nothing, no obstacle to rock the boat of your determined intervention for us, so that as we live our own lives and then as we witness to our life, to those around us, we might be pointing not at ourselves, but we might be pointing back to you again and again and again to say we serve one who loves us no matter what. So that no matter how dark the circumstances, how, no matter how challenging the moment, 
We know that you stand true for us and on our behalf. And so, Lord, let us lean into each arena with that confidence, with how we speak to our parents, with how we speak to our children, with how we worry with our friends, with how we whisper confidence and truth to our neighbors, with how we weep with those who are suffering, with how we draw alongside those who, whose voice is silenced, with how we comfort those who are in pain, but also and especially, Lord, with how we fix our eyes on a hope and how we lean there even when we ourselves feel the darkness. Perhaps not even in a way that takes the darkness away, but Lord, that gives us footing even in the midst of it, that holds on to you because we know that you are holding on to us. So Jesus, our brother, Holy Spirit, our comforter, and heavenly God, our Father, Thank you for being with us in all things. And please continue to draw us to you, even as we stand of beacons of your hope to the world around us, so that from our neighborhood to the missionaries that we pray for around the world, to every area of struggle, your hope and your light in Jesus Christ might shine. And it's in his name alone that we pray all of these things. Amen. Slight technical difficulty there. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dan. Technical difficulties happen to the best of us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, I'm Nathan Boyette, one of the pastors here. If you're with us online, we're so happy you're here. We'd love to know that you're with us, so please reach out through the different communication methods. Today, we're continuing our new series in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitude that we will look at today comes 
out of the first three Beatitudes. It's the spiritual outcome. If we know our sin and our spiritual poverty, if we mourn over how far we fall short of God's goodness and rightness, if we humbly, meekly approach life in light of our sinful situation, then as a result, we will hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. The Beatitudes are multifaceted descriptions of a whole person. They're just not random proverbs. They're not just this sayings that have been put together with no purpose in mind. They're unified. They show a disciple of Jesus Christ, a citizen of his kingdom. They describe human flourishing in this fallen, sinful world. The first three Beatitudes, which Pastor Harrison unpacked for us last week, describe a disciple's spiritual need, the deep, deep need that we have. The fourth beatitude that we're going to examine today is God's promise to meet that need. And then the fifth through seventh beatitudes, which Pastor Harrison will unpack next week, describe the action which results from God graciously meeting our need. Jesus Jesus is teaching his disciples that true blessedness comes in a relationship with God which results in mature character that emulates him. It's a return to what God originally intended humans to be. So let's read verse 6, the fourth beatitude, one more time. Pray, and then we'll dive right in. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we might be strengthened encouraged, comforted, challenged. Lord God, we desperately need your guidance. We confess how we do not hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us right now. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, challenge us. Speak to us, we pray, in our inner spirits right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis. I love how God explains how he created this world. I love the picture that it portrays of who our God is. And I love also children's storybook Bibles. We have one called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you've read it, it's a really great depiction of the Bible. I love it because it gives you a new picture of what the Bible is all about. It helps you see it through new eyes, the eyes of a child, which is sometimes beneficial And in that first couple of chapters of the Jesus Storybook Bible, it talks about how God created the heavens and the earth. And the way it describes it, it's almost like a delighted father gushing over his newborn child is the way it describes God. He is just so excited. Let me read a little bit of it to you. God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever it happened, whatever it cost, he would always love them. 
This beautifully portrays the amazing relationship that God created us to have with himself. He created humans to have an intimate, deep relationship with himself. But, as we all know, Adam and Eve sinned. And that good, beautiful, perfect relationship was shattered and broken. And the result is that we do not know him as we should. We don't have that intimate connection that we were created for. It's lacking. The first three Beatitudes describe that weakness and need. It describes our spiritual lack. The reality is that we live in a world impacted by sin. We are all poor in spirit. None of us measure up to God's good, righteous, holy standard, his right, good standard for human life, the way he created us to live. None of us measure up to that. We fail on a daily basis, which is why we confess our sins every time we gather together. Sin is a deep need and weakness in every human that we cannot meet on our own. That's why the Bible constantly describes sin as spiritual death. It's something we can't overcome on our own. A dead person can't do anything about their deadness. We cannot do anything about our sin. And so, as we read the Beatitudes, as Jesus preached these Beatitudes to his audience, they would have had this question— Jesus, if we have this deep, deep need in ourselves, then what are we going to do? How are we going to meet this deep need? And that's where the fourth beatitude comes in. Verse 6 comes, Jesus speaking the beatitudes, and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Verse 6 of the beatitudes is where that deep spiritual need is met. Our deep need is met in God as he satisfies us with his righteousness and restores us into a relationship with himself. Let's unpack this beatitude through four or three main points, deep longing, deep righteousness, and deep satisfaction. The first thing we're going to meditate on in relation to this beatitude is the deep longing present. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst are blessed. Think about that. Those who hunger and thirst are blessed. That sounds a little strange to us. I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry and thirst, I don't feel very blessed. I mean, the word hangry is an actual description of how some people feel when they're hungry. They feel angry. That's confusing to us, but it would have been even more confusing to Jesus's first century Palestinian audience. Hunger and thirst in the first century world was a much more present reality than it is here and now. In first century Palestine, people were hungry and thirsty on a weekly basis. Water was in very short supply. Food was often lacking. Famines were a present real reality that they struggled with, that they encountered in their own lives. And so for this audience, Jesus's audience, hunger and thirst was something that they knew much better than we do. In our modern period of decadent abundance, hunger and thirst is a difficult concept for us to really grasp, isn't it? We have so much, it is a rare occurrence for us to really, truly be hungry and thirsty. The hunger and thirst here is continual. It's ongoing. It would be better to translate this as those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Always longing is the concept here, what Jesus is trying to describe. It's constant, ongoing. 
our deep need that the first three Beatitudes highlight for us should cause us to have a deep longing, a longing equivalent to real hunger and thirst. And the reality is, is that all humans have this deep longing. We can see this present across history, places, and cultures. We constantly long for something more. In undergrad, I was a philosophy and religion major, and I loved reading about the different cultures' understanding of the big questions of life. And this longing is present in almost every philosophical and religious tradition. The Bible witnesses to this dear spiritual longing which Jesus speaks of. The psalmists, the songs and prayers of Israel talk about it. In Psalm 42, they write, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. All humans experience this deep spiritual longing. But the reality is that because many do not know God, many do not know our Savior Jesus, some satisfy it with empty food and drink. This deep need and longing, sometimes it often compels us to seek satisfaction. And so it should be no wonder that people seek it outside of the Lord and his will, especially if they do not know him. And the Bible testifies to this as well. In Isaiah 55, the Lord speaking through Isaiah to his lost and wayward people, Israel says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Listen to that last line again. The Lord speaking through Isaiah says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? The reality is that every human has that deep spiritual longing and we go to so many places to try to satisfy it. I mean, think with me. I'm sure all of you have had a time when you've been a little bit hungry and you've had nothing to eat but some junk food, right? Some potato chips, something unhealthy, rich in calories but empty in nutrition. And you just scarf it down. You eat it. And you're satisfied for a little while, right? But because that junk food is empty of nutrition, you're very quickly hungry again. That is what it is like as we try to satisfy our deep spiritual longings outside of the Lord. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, says, if you don't feel strong desires for God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Isn't that the description so often of our hearts? We are stuffed with the small things, the entertainment, the pleasures of this world, the cheap, empty successes. We're stuffed with the small things, and so we think we're full. This beatitude calls us to consider deep spiritual longing to be a blessing. When we recognize that deep spiritual longing that we have, we are to consider ourselves blessed. Do we think that way? I often grow impatient, annoyed, dissatisfied with my longings. This deep spiritual longing can often repulse us at times. We can hate it because it shows us that we have a deep, deep need. 
It shows us that we are not enough. It shows us that we need something outside of ourselves to satisfy us. As modern Americans, we are more comfortable, better provided for, and also more dissatisfied than almost any other nation or generation in history. And that's an ironic paradox in our abundance and dissatisfaction, but it shouldn't surprise us. We have so much material abundance. We have so many things to distract us. And so it's very easy to ignore the reality that we are lacking spiritually, that we are lacking in something and have a deep longing that we're trying to ignore. We need to seek the blessedness of this deep need and longing. Sadly, we too often seek to medicate it with something to distract ourselves from it, but let's sit in our dissatisfaction and longing. Let's sit in it by active prayer. Pray about it when you feel this intense longing, which you most likely have for God. Pray about it. Ask, what, Lord, am I putting in your place? How am I seeking to satisfy myself with the small things, nibbling at the table of the world instead of at your rich feast? I mean, this is why the Bible calls us to fast. Fasting is an opportunity to say, God, you are more important to me than the food that I need to survive. But fasting isn't just giving up food. It can be giving up any number of things. People fast from entertainment. They fast from social media. They fast from the digital world. They fast from so many things as an opportunity to deepen their longing for God. I would encourage you to try to do that. Take an opportunity to fast from social media. Take an opportunity to fast for a day from food. Experience that hunger and thirst that the first century people and audience Jesus had would have understood so that you can understand what deep longing for God really is. This deep longing is a condition for the righteousness that satisfies our next two points. If we don't intensely hunger and thirst for more than this life offers, if we are constantly stuffing ourselves with the small things of the world, then we won't realize that we are really hungry and longing for God. The second thing we will highlight from this beatitude is that it is not just deep, it is not just deep spiritual longing which blesses us. As I've been hinting at in the first point, the deep longing is not an empty directionless, directionless longing, but it is a longing for God and specifically for his righteousness. Righteousness, righteous, is a key term in the entire Bible. It occurs so many times both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it is a term not often well understood in our modern period. A few Bible verses about righteousness, specifically located in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking about the Ten Commandments in Matthew 5.20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are as good at living the holy life as the professional religious people of Jesus' day, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But then also in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He commands, he calls people to seek after his righteousness, God's righteousness, 
there seems to be some sort of contradiction here, right? If our righteousness cannot exceed the professional religious people, but we're called to seek it, what are we to do? As you all know, the result is found in Jesus Christ himself. Paul, reflecting on Jesus' life in Romans 1, says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our righteousness is not enough. Left to our own devices, we're stuck in that deep, deep need that the first three Beatitudes showed us. But we are to hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, even though we can't get it on our own, because we get it by faith, trust in Jesus. Throughout the Bible, righteousness can refer to, first, the right standing believers have before God because of Jesus' salvation. That's the righteousness we get by faith. It can also, second, refer to upright living, which pleases God. That's why the Bible in the Old Testament can say that X person was a righteous person in their generation because they lived comparatively a very good life. It can also refer third to God's justice, God's righteousness, which will be enacted in this world. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he is communing that we should deep, he's communicating that we should deeply long for God's righteousness to be produced in our lives through the salvation he will provide, and in the world through God's kingdom coming to pass. We are called to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is from outside of ourselves, a righteousness that is a gift. It's given to us. That's why in Luke 18, when Jesus told a parable, he highlighted this. It goes like this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tall tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, made right, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the type of righteousness we are to hunger and long for. A righteousness that isn't because of anything we've done, that isn't because of something that we bring to the table, but is given to us because we humbly, as the third beatitude, come to God. Dan Doriani, writing on the Beatitudes, argues that this deep longing for righteousness has four aspects. First, it's an alien righteousness. This is what we've been talking about, where God, in the gospel, gives us the righteousness of Jesus, given to us when we believe by God's grace. Theological terms, justification. Second, it's a personal righteousness. It's a righteousness that we long for to be produced in our lives as we take sin and kill it and seek to grow by God's grace in the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus, more the way God intended us to be. That's the second. That's called sanctification in theological terms. 
Third, which we don't often think of in our modern individualistic period, is social righteousness, a God-led cleansing of society. It's the desire for God's will to occur in all of creation, in every aspect of what it means to be human, for his righteousness to happen, for sin to be completely uprooted from society, and for people to live the way God wants them to. Social righteousness. It's a desire to promote God's kingdom in business, education, music, arts, sports, politics, everything that humans do. Social righteousness. Fourth, eschatological righteousness. Eschatological is a term maybe some of you don't know, but it just means the future, the end times, the study of that. Eschatological righteousness is where we anticipate and look forward to and long for the day when God's righteousness will be completely, fully realized across the face of the earth. The new heavens and the new earth will be realized when Jesus returns. So these four aspects of hungering and longing for God's righteousness are something that we should live out and think about. This beatitude calls us to long for God's righteousness, both God's salvation in our own lives and the impact of his salvation in others' lives in the world. We are to long for righteousness to occur, for God's good character, good will to occur all over his creation. And this longing should impel us to action. It should cause us to leave our comfort zones to go do something. I mean, think about that time that you've been so hungry. Did you just sit on your couch and say, well, guess I'm going to be hungry. No, you got up. You went to the uh, kitchen and got something to eat. That is what our hungering and longing for righteousness should do. It should impel us to action. Pastor Hyun-Soo Lim is a Korean-Canadian missionary and pastor. After some events in North Korea led to a great famine in North Korea, Pastor Lim has gone since 1997 over 100 times to North Korea, taking in excess of $50 million worth of equipment, food, establishing orphanages, hospitals, helping so many people. He hungered and longed for God's righteousness to happen in the world. He saw the impacts of sin on people of the same culture and ethnicity as him in North Korea as they are oppressed by the government there. He longed for them to know God, and so he was impelled, propelled to action. He couldn't not do anything, and so he went. And after going over 100 times, In 2015, Pastor Lim was imprisoned by the North Korean government for over three years. He was sentenced for much longer than that to hard labor. And when he was finally released, Pastor Lim rejoiced, said, I completely forgive them. I am so happy for the North Korean people. I want them to know God. He longed for God's righteousness to happen in the world. As God's beloved, graciously saved children, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and this should propel us into action in our own lives and in others. I mean, think of the four aspects of the deep longing for righteousness that Dan Doriani talked about, alien righteousness, justification. This is just, we are to be propelled into believing and trusting in what God has done for us, laying claim to the promises of his salvation by faith in Jesus and what he has done. 
personal righteousness, sanctification. As we hunger and long for righteousness, we should long for our sin to be put away with, to turn away from it, and to turn to God's righteous, holy way of living. We do that through confession and repentance of our sins. We do that through calling on the Holy Spirit, which dwells inside each one of us, and asking that he produce God's righteous, good character in our hearts and our lives. Social righteousness. We should all want to engage the world with God's gospel mission. Many of you work in a variety of fields. How can you specifically work in that place for the people that you work with, for the work that you do, to bring God's righteousness into the world. Eschatological righteousness, we should long for and look forward to the day that we will one day see God's righteousness completely enacted across the world. And we should interact with everybody, every individual, with the reality that they are a person created in God's image that will live forever in either heaven or hell. And we should long for God's righteousness to impact that person's life so that they believe and trust in their Savior. The final thing to highlight in our beatitude is that this deep longing for God and the righteousness he gives will lead to satisfaction. The beatitude says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied shall be satisfied. This verb is what's called a divine passive. It is done to the individuals, not done by them. It's satisfied, satisfaction brought about by God, given from God to those who are hungering and thirsting. They don't produce the satisfaction in themselves. It is given to them by God and in God. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied by God. The deep longing we have in light of our deep need and weaknesses causes sin, caused by sin, can only be satisfied by God. The Bible is clear on this, especially Jesus as he speaks. In John 4, at the Samaritan well, speaking to the woman there, he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in, in an individual a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus at a feast in John 6 said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in the, in the book of Revelation, where God gave a revelation to John of the throne room of heaven, we read an amazing description Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Our God longs for the day when he will satisfy all of our needs, shelter us with his presence. We can look forward with confident expectation to that. 
Pastor Kent Hughes writing about this beatitude calls the satisfaction here a paradoxical satisfaction. He calls it a cycle where being satisfied in the Lord gives birth to a greater hunger and longing for more righteousness, a deeper intimacy with our Creator and Lord. Once we taste it, we want more of it is what he's talking about. He writes, the more one conforms to God's will, the more fulfilled and content one becomes. But that in turn spawns a greater discontent. Our hunger increases and intensifies in the very act of being satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied and they're blessed because that will increase more and more. Why is it that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness find satisfaction? It's because they are satisfied in the Lord. That deep longing we looked at can only be satisfied in him. They have an intimate relationship with God. The one that we read about or heard about in Genesis 1 that we were created for. That has been broken by sin, which we are all, whether we realize it or not, longing for. The relationship for which we were created. I have the, uh, I'm sure you've heard this quote by C.S. Lewis. It won't be new to many of you. But he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis paints this picture of a child playing in a mud pile, making a mud pie, making a mud castle, and this child can't fathom that he's about to go to a vacation at the beach with pristine beaches, gorgeous ocean, crashing waves, and make this awesome sand castle. But he's playing in the mud, and all he has to do is go to his father and be taken to that amazing beach. That is what is on offer for us, satisfaction that we can't even fathom. And what we are satisfying ourselves with is mud. But this hunger for righteousness and for God satisfies even when life is not a vacation at the beach. Pastor Lim, who I told you about earlier, he was jailed in North Korea for nearly three years, sentenced to years and years of hard labor. He worked outside in the scorching heat and the cold of winter, breaking the ground. He, he talks about sometimes how he had to break frozen coal apart into small pieces for his jailers. The interviewer that I saw asked him, <coughs> excuse me, the interviewer that I saw asked him, how did you cope under all that? I mean, she told, he told her how he ate every single one of his meals for those three years in isolation. Not once did he sit down across a table from another human to have a meal. He talks about how he had just intense loneliness because everyone around him considered him to be an enemy for three years straight. But he said that amazingly, he had hope, joy in the midst of all that. And she said, were you surprised by that? He was like, yes, I was surprised by that. God met him in the midst of his intense trial and difficulty and satisfied him. For a whole year, he had no access to any sort of books or anything, no Bible, but he just worked, ate, and was by himself. 
but he talks about how the times of prayer, and eventually after a year he was given a Bible, the times in God's word, deepened his hunger and longing for God. And that's the paradoxical satisfaction that we talked about earlier. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will find satisfaction when God sees our hearts and meets us in relationship. This hunger and thirsting for righteousness is demonstrated when we believe and trust in the gospel, faith in the Lord and the salvation that Jesus provides for us. So I encourage you, if you're here this morning, and this all sounds strange to you, come ask more questions later. If you are attracted to this God who longs to know you and have intimate relationship with you, believe in him, trust in him. Jesus died in your place so that you could be restored to a relationship with your father who created you. Kent Hughes, that pastor, says, the tragedy of our time is that the world is hungering and thirsting after sex, wealth, violence, and excitement. The church's tragedy is that many in her are seeking the same thing, and their diets are making them empty, or their diets are making them as empty and pathetic as the world. Whew, that hits. Are we too easily satisfied? Are we too much like the world? Are we seeking the shallow satisfaction the things of this world offers? Or are we longing and hungering for righteousness? One thing that we need to think about in our own lives is, is this paradoxical satisfaction, a cycle that, of longing that gives rise to satisfaction, that gives rise to more hungering. How do we make that happen in our lives? It, it happens through quite simple means. The relationship we have with God should involve weekly, daily times of prayer, confession and repentance of our sins, trusting the gospel anew again, meditating on God's word, active killing of our sin as we trust in the Holy Spirit to help us grow. These common, normal means of grace which God has given us are the means by which he deepens our longing, helps the satisfaction come into our lives, it's not some sensational, amazing thing. Due to sin, humanity's good, life-giving relationship with our Creator and Heavenly Father has been broken, what we heard about at the beginning. But God did not accept that broken relationship. As it talked about, God would dwell with us, whatever it took. He didn't accept that our sin would cut us off from Him. He didn't completely destroy everything right away, but Jesus came to die in our place for our sin, and was raised to new life so that we could know the satisfaction that he wants to give us. We were orphans, separated by God due to our sinful rebellion. We had nothing to bring to the table, no reason for us to be accepted in his house. If we brought a record to try to demand entry at the doors, it would be empty. Or in fact, it might have a whole list of reasons why we shouldn't be let into God's house. We were actually running away from our Heavenly Father as fast as we could. But our gracious Father saw our sorry situation, the sin that separated us, and he sent our big brother Jesus after us to come and die in our place. We're about to sing a song that speaks about that, the song Grace Alone, and it highlights this, the, some of the lyrics. I was an orphan, lost at the fall, running away when I'd hear your call. But Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. But Father, you love me still. We come together to worship this amazing God who by grace 
allows us to have a relationship with himself. And so we can hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will be satisfied. And that is what makes us blessed as Christians. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God of infinite love, mercy, and grace. We thank you that you have seen our situation. You see how we have a deep, deep need. And you don't reject us. You don't turn your back in disgust upon us. But you came and loved us still, saved us with your holiness, your mercy, your grace. We pray, Lord God, that we might respond by rejecting the empty, small things of this world that we try to satisfy ourselves with, by seeking your righteousness in all areas of our life and the world, and by finding deep satisfaction in you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.